Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and sitting across from me, making his second appearance within in the same number of weeks. Dun, 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 it's got to be a Hockey PDO Cast recent record. It's Garrett Hole. Garrett, what's going on, man? Oh, you know, just visiting your uh, humble abode. Yes, yeah. Um, so we teased this last time you were on. Um, if people haven't listened to it for whatever reason, I highly recommend. After listening to this podcast, go back to episode 188, where we do a Winnipeg Jets deep dive. Um, but we decided that, you know, people love lists. People love arguing online about rankings. And www.wrong.com. We, we thought that that would make this the perfect little project for this stretch in mid-August we're in. So we are going to go back over the last decade's worth of drafts, and we're going to redraft the lottery for each one of those entry drafts. How does that sound to you? Uh, we're going to be so wrong. Yeah, we're, well, I don't know. I think we're probably going to be more right than the teams that were yeah. drafting at the time because uh, that's how hindsight works. Yes. And we have the benefit of that. But uh, just have some, let's, let's have some fun with it. Uh, before, we, before we do start that, though, um, I wanted to give two reminders to people listening. One, uh, we really appreciate every rating and review on iTunes. So take a minute of your day to go and uh you know, you can customize it. You can make uh, John Francois Barube jokes. You can make P.A. Parento jokes. We always appreciate those. Just give the give us the five stars, and uh, that'd be great. And the second thing is um, we'll be doing more mailbag shows this summer, so uh, you can send in questions for those future episodes on either Twitter or email, and we'll, we'll try to get to them as we see fit. And with that out of the way, let's get into it, Garrett. Um, let's do the 2006 draft, going all the way back. Oh, sorry, sorry. Okay. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna set the scene for you here. This is the draft that Eric Johnson won first overall. The greatest draft pick of all time. Well, I, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if the St. Louis Blues would agree with that. I don't know if uh, the Colorado Avalanche would agree with that. Um, I'm sure that uh, the Chicago Blackhawks are happy that Eric Johnson won first overall. Um, who do you have going first in this draft? Well, um, just to give people a little bit of a preface of what I'm doing here, um, two things. One, 
my rankings are very heavily weighted towards goals above above replacement, mm. um, both um, NHL and AHL versions. Um, AHL versions won't be really matter at all for our earlier drafts. Yeah, oh, the third <laughs> overall pick killed it in the AHL. <laughs> uh, oh. But yes, I do have access to AHL war, thanks to the joys of working for a tracking company. But on top of that, um, I'm going to be very restricted to, or not restricted, but I'm going to be looking a lot at recent performance. So if some players have had a couple of tough years the last year or so, mm. that might Usually, if I'm wrong, it's probably the reason why. It's probably because they had an injury last year or something like that. So that's a good uh, that's a good point you make there uh, in terms of methodology. Um, so, like, obviously, it'll be different as we uh, reach closer to today's date. So, like, the 2013 draft, for example, we only have a few years worth mm-hmm. of data to analyze them. Uh, going all the way back to 2006, like, should we be doing this based on who has had the best career? Yeah, see, that's what makes it difficult because of the fact I mean, because we're not really evaluating based on what they're going to be like next season per se. Like we've already had yeah. a, ten years worth of NHL guys, data for some of these guys. M- most guys drafted in two thousand six, two thousand seven have hit their peaks. Yes, for example, two thousand sixteen, two thousand fifteen. We're dealing with guys that you know we're still uncertain what their um, peaks are going to even be like. So that will make things a little interesting. I think my that's. I'm going to be mostly looking at peak performance and expected peak performance. Well, and in the part. case of, what, what would you say the peak performance of uh, James Shepard, who went ninth overall to the Minnesota Wild was? Did we, did we ever um, get that peak? No, we never got that peak. But I will I will point out that I do like James Shepard for some as reason. A, as a person or as a hockey player? As a hockey player. I've always enjoyed watch, watching him. I don't mean that he was, never, he was never better than a fourth liner, but I always enjoyed him. You know what? This this is uh, I'm looking at this list right now from this draft, yeah. and this is a great reminder of a point that we constantly bring up, but I feel like fans sometimes lose sight of if their team signs someone or who they're looking for in the draft. Trevor Lewis, who I think of as like the prototypical fourth line player, was 17th overall in this draft by the Kings, and that's mm-hmm. sort of what we what we go on to say where it's like the best depth players are usually the like the failed top prospects. Correct. So if your team is Going out of its way to draft fourth liners, those guys will probably not wind yeah. up actually being fourth liners. Generally speaking, the fourth liners in junior, the prototypical fourth line, fourth liners in junior, aren't the guys who make it into the NHL to be fourth liners in the NHL. Same thing for shutdown defensemen, although that one's a little bit more grayscale. Right. Um, you Gray, find grayscale. Uh, it's not always Is that a game, a Game of Thrones reference. Yeah. Uh, no, it wasn't actually. Mm. <laughs> uh, it's more. I mean, it's just not quite black and white. Right. Um, as opposed to with uh, forwards and death players. Like, we do find some defensive defensemen, like Chris Tanev um, and some others, definitely were more defensive defensemen in junior or college. However, there are also a slew of defensive defensemen in the NHL who are actually scoring defenders in juniors and right. lower leagues. So, But yeah, tangent. Yeah, you want to go You want to go for the highest upside and then hope that everything else falls into place. Um, before we get into the actual order... yeah. Uh, I have a few notes here. Okay, go. Go with your notes. So this was one of the last years, I'm sure, you know, we discussed this before we went on air, but if we went back to like the early 2000s or even the 90s, I'm sure we'd see this as much more of a trend. But this is kind of like one of the last years where teams just went, just went ham on goalies in the first round. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Jonathan Bernier went 11th to the Kings. Riku Hellenius went 15th to Tampa Bay. And fun fact about my boy Riku, 
he had one career NHL game. Shut up. Well, he stopped both of the shots he faced in the seven minutes in relief that he played. All two of them. Which is remarkable uh, that that's all he got. Um, I think he's I think he's still playing in like the SM Liga or something. I don't I don't know. He's I think he's still kicking around. I mean, he's still not even thirty yet. So, um, Semyon Varlamov went to the Caps, who is like the one guy who I guess you could say actually lived up to his draft slot here. And Leland Irving went twenty sixth to Calgary. So I think it's uh, teams that definitely like we'll we'll see this as we move on further and further in these drafts. But teams still make mistakes. But the process is definitely started to become more refined in terms of teams kind of realizing what type of players they probably should be investing high high draft capital in mm-hmm. so who do you go first of all do you- wait i'm not down my notes oh, oh sorry um i can't find video of eric johnson getting picked and the analysis that followed because i was for some of these picks i was trying to like go on youtube and see like what bob mckenzie had to say as soon as a pick was taken and and sort of hit their quick analysis and there's no video of eric johnson and the analysis that followed him which leads me to believe that it's some sort of deeper hockey conspiracy (laughs) um this was a draft where bob clark forgot claude Giroux's name in the podium oh yeah and this is the this is the best this is the best one of all so i mentioned jonathan bernier earlier Mm -hmm. so pierre mcguire who i love pierre uh i know that that might be a polarizing uh stance to take because i feel like people either like really love him or really hate him i find him entertaining i don't you know i'm personally like i go to analysis yeah i would i personally would not use him as an analysis guy but in terms of entertainment yeah great i enjoy like for what take it for what it is like i enjoy his this kind of of how how i feel entertainment business and i this how i feel about jack edwards like you can tell he clearly loves what he's talking about and i think that can sometimes be rewarding and refreshing you you Mm -hmm. i like to see that but man, and no one better what you want on your uh, trivia team. Yes. For hockey uh, trivia. The problem is his hockey knowledge is other than like actual facts in terms of like where guys played and who they played with, like in terms of actual analysis is his trivia knowledge is great suspect. And a good example of that here, or I mean, just, just random anecdotes from him. I mean, he goes on about when the Kings took Jonathan Bernier, he goes on about how he's not sure about the pick, but the reason he lists for being suspect of the pick not, oh, they took this goalie 11th overall, is I don't know what kind of message this is going to send to Matthew Garon in the locker room, which I, that 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 that, that, com- that piece of analysis and comment didn't age well in terms of uh, wondering about what Matthew Garon's psyche would be like with this pick. Wow. Um, the best names of this draft. There are some good ones. So I'll, I've, got, I've got a few for each draft here, and I'm going to let you pick as an unbiased party. We've got Dick Axelson. Which is a crowd pleaser. Mm-hmm. We've got George Holloway, but Hockey DB lists him as George Bud Holloway. I love when uh, when Hockey DB lists like the players' nicknames for some reason. <laughs> um, and then you're, I think you might pick this one, John Matsumoto, who in the analyst analyst community, his claim to fame is in 2011-12 he played one game for the Florida Panthers, I believe, absolutely killed it, and his Corsi relative was just something obscene. And then throughout the entire lockout in the 2012-13 season, whenever anyone would open behind the net, he'd be the first name that would pop up. You know what? I do have a bit of a bias because of the behind the net era. Um, for example, yeah, do you? you do you? I think I think you got to go. I think you got to go. Dick Axelson though. 80, 62nd to Detroit. We haven't really heard much from him in the decade since, but <laughs> we're going to give this award to him. Um, all right, let's get to the actual uh, 
rankings here. So, for me, the first pick here is between two names. Very Probably clearly the defined. two names is me. Um, I think, like, most people would take Jonathan Taves. But I really wanted Backstrom? to take Nicholas Backstrom. Yeah. Uh, and that might be, like, a personal bias thing. I'm not sure that he's necessarily had a career, better career, been a better player. Uh, there's a lot of other factors to consider, but... I've always just been uh, such a huge fan of his game, so I'm kind of leaning that way. But well, what would you have in terms of uh, your actual more scientific evaluations? Though, well, those were the two that I was definitely leaning towards. Um, I mean, Backstrom is that pure skill guy, and I think his defensive game is actually highly underrated and underappreciated. Um, that's, and to be honest with you, Backstrom has been the superior player as of recent. However, I do think that uh, Jonathan Taves, you know, like because of the fact that Jonathan Taves did kind of get overrated with the whole Taves versus uh, Sidney Crosby debates. Yes. Um, sometimes you get a little bit of an overemphasized backlash that ends up going too too far. I mean, I'm, I'm probably still leaning towards Taves over, yeah. first overall. Um, just because of overall career, not, and I don't mean that in not, terms not of... Not like the winning, just yeah, in terms of like wins, actual, actual nice contributions. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean... Taves was an elite player, and he's still one of the better players out there. I think he was something like 44th, 43rd in war last year versus Baxter, who was 27th-ish. Um, but previously speaking, I think Taves did have the higher peak. And uh, for that reason, I'm slightly leaning towards Taves, although honestly, I could definitely see a debate for Backstrom. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a pretty clear like one-two um tier to themselves here and then then it becomes like another tier of maybe three or four guys that we can consider Milan um, Lucic third overall <laughs> um <laughs> I had Milan Lucic eighth which no, like, he's, he's, he's another one of those guys where it's like it's very easy to have this sort of overcompensating pushback to the ways he sometimes discussed in the hockey community and the contract he just got from the Oilers but He's had a very, very successful career and has been a valuable on-ice contributor, and we shouldn't overlook that just because of all the other stuff, right? He's an exceptionally good player, He, especially in front of the net. Um, I There was one season where he was actually... Or no, I'm trying to remember now. I, I tweeted it out recently. It was something like over the span of three years, um, he had the highest shooting percentage for that span just yeah. because of the fact that he was a guy that knew what to do. He knew to park in front of the net and get those backdoor passes or um, get those rebounds. And it was and when, effective. When they were firing on all cylinders, like when they were at their absolute apex, that line of uh, Lucic, Krejci, and Horton was really, really, really fun to watch. Um, so who do you have after that Taves-Backstrom tier here? I think you can make the case for like... Th- three players I mean Claude Giroux had some struggles recently and he's not exactly the five on five guy that a lot of people think he is right but he is definitely an elite power play guy yep he's had some he has had some great success both in playoffs and in the regular season and again I'm talking about individual success not team success um that's one of the guys I've definitely looked at there's Brad Marchand who was for the longest coming time coming on strong, hmm? coming on strong. He's yeah. like kind of the opposite of Claude Drew in that regard. Yeah, and he's a guy that 
a lot of people, you know, thought was a mirage for the longest time and was just uh, kind of going on the coattails of Patrice Bergeron, but it's definitely proven to the whole hockey community that he is a legitimate top talent. And you know what? I, fighting for that third spot is actually a little bit dif- more difficult for me. I mean, I definitely have uh, Kessel in there. Um, now, does Kessel's recent picture of hot dogs in the Stanley Cup swing your vote? Because oh, I think that's, that's if, the type of off-ice intangible that I'm willing to consider. If, if I'm going for my favorite player <laughs> just in terms of... Well, just, you're putting Matthew Perot first in this draft, so yes. I'm not, let's not go crazy. Notice there. I did not actually put Matthew Perot first overall. Yeah. Um, you thought about it, though, didn't you? I, when I when I brought up the 2006 draft, yeah. I did see his name there, and I did think about it for a moment. Mm. I mean, there's some guys there who were pretty good, and then just kind of disappeared. Okay, well, I think I think let's just I think is it fair to say Baxter and Taser in their own tier, and then sort of this Kessel, Marchand, Giroux, Giroux group we can kind of put here, and then yeah, can sort of. Although you know what, I might actually put a guy who is kind of the opposite as uh, Jonathan Taves, a guy that. Um, might be undervalued is Jordan Stahl. He was a guy that everyone always kind of spoke about the fact that he didn't really reach his potential just because of the fact that he's never been much of a scorer, but he's definitely, he's been a good player in terms of war for the past couple of seasons. And even before then, and he's always been a play driver, Yep. but a lot of, because of the fact that he was um, the third in a, in front of two elite talents. Yep. Um, he just kind of maybe lost a lot of that value that he probably could have had if he was on any other team when he got drafted. Yeah, and it's easy to sort of a fantasy book or think what could have been, but obviously, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if the Penguins take Jonathan Taves or Nicholas Backstrom or Phil second Kessel. overall, or they take well, <laughs> Phil Kessel, yeah. so he's on their team. No, but you never time. know how, like, yeah. how that changes the actual trajectory of that individual player's career. You can't just go nature, nurture, development. Yeah, you can't yeah. just go like, oh, Jonathan Taves is going to have this exact same career regardless of where he plays, and all yeah. of a sudden you're going to have him, Malkin, and Crosby on the same team for a decade, and <laughs> they're going to win every single Stanley Cup. Like that's it's it's risky when you get into that business. But I, I agree. I mean. Stahl has had a, a really nice career and is still a very valuable contributor and, and is going to be relied upon pretty heavily on this young Hurricanes team to um, do a lot of the heavy lifting, especially defensively. Um, it's interesting that, I mean, I guess what the Penguins have, what do they have to show for that Jordan Stahl pick? I mean, they got Brian Dumoulin in the trade and they basically got Nick Bonino because they got Brandon Sutter and then traded him. And both those guys contributed to their mm-hmm. two most recent cups. So it's not like they, you know, whiffed on that Squandered. thing completely and then have nothing to show for it. Yeah. They recoup value. But yeah, it's uh, it's very tantalizing to think what could have been with uh, with Taves or Backstrom on that team. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, third overall, I definitely would put those guys into a debate. The Kessel, the Drew, and the Marchand. Yeah. Uh, I think I would lean Marchand. Yeah, I have Marshawn, Kessel, and then Giroux in that order, but it's yeah. tough. Maybe, it, you know what, if we had this discussion like a year, especially like two years ago, like Giroux would probably be third I, on this list. It, it yeah. is it's tough to separate how he's declined at 5 on 5 recently. From, yeah, it definitely from becomes difficult, as we said, like looking, you know, peak overall performance and also projecting how their, because their careers aren't over yet. So I'm going to throw a bunch of other names at you here. Okay. Um, Kyle Pozo. Yep. Milan Lucic, as we mentioned, uh, Derek Brassard, Brian Little, Artem Anisimov, Nick Foligno, Matthew Perot, Say, 
And here's a, actually here's an interesting debate. So Eric Johnson goes first in this draft. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget which where he went, but he obviously went far later. Uh, Jeff Petrie went 45th to Edmonton. If you, with the benefit of hindsight and knowing how their careers turned out, which career would you rather have if you could have it for the past year, 10 years? Like, as in me being that person? <laughs> no, I mean, as, 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 as the person running the team. Yeah. I would, t- I would take Jeff Petrie. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, I, I, I would too. I didn't even honestly consider Eric Johnson for the top 14 in this draft, which, um, I don't know. That's 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 a t- that's a tough one. I mean, we'll we'll get into like the Yakupov draft and stuff later. It's not unprecedented, but oh, it's pretty, it's pretty tough. Um, yeah. So all all those names I listed, like we don't necessarily have to rank them in order. But is there anything that sticks out to you there in terms of guys that should be considered much much more highly or much more lowly than others? Um, I probably have Matthew Perot higher than you, and not just because of my bias, but just because of the fact that I'm kind of going by. So you like you wouldn't have him ahead of like a Derek Broussard though, right? No, I mean they're kind of similar players. But the one thing that's kind of interesting about Matthew Perot is that his seasons have actually, while scoring numbers haven't necessarily gotten better every single season. Last season was actually his best season in terms of WAR. The season before was his second best season in WAR. The three seasons ago was his third best season in WAR. Right. It's abnormal for players to peak later, so. When you got a guy like that, but also has an injury history like Matthew Perot, it leads to a lot of questions because of the fact that, one, he's getting better and better and better, but two, he's also an injury concern, so whether or not he'll just like kind of crash hard over the next four years or not will be a real question because I could definitely see him as a player who could rise up the rankings. Another guy that's kind of underrated, I don't know if you mentioned him, but Michael Froelich. Yeah, especially, I mean, he's coming on strong. Obviously, that line with him him and Backlund was, uh, and Kachuk was one of the funnest lines to watch last season and, and incredibly effective. Um, he kind of had a, he's, he's had an interesting career for a guy that was a former top prospect, right? Where he's been traded a couple times and bounced around. He was always that, that player that rated re- really well in terms of uh, per minute stats especially in terms of shot generation but never really seemed to put it together and it's nice it's rewarding to see that he's finally reaching those lofty heights at this point of his career even if it's taken a while to get there mm-hmm. i mean the, the thing with the thing with matthew pro it's tough for me and i wonder how this affects that aging curve you mentioned with him is he didn't become an nhl regular until 2011 2012 mm-hmm. whereas a guy like Derek Broussard already had like three full seasons as a contributor under his belt. Mm-hmm. So if we're, if we're talking purely from a value perspective or, you know, if you're the team drafting these guys, um, I think I think how much uh, work they've put in for the teams does need to factor into the evaluation as well. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Obviously, it depends. Like, there's... We don't know that Matthew Pro couldn't have played in the NHL earlier. Like, Especially that's, that's, that's with tough. the fact that he dominated the AHL in the way that he did prior to coming over to the NHL. Yeah. Um, I do like 2007's draft. Yeah, are we, are we done with 2006? I think I'm done. Yeah, I think I'm done too. It's uh, after, the fir- after the first handful, you can make a case for a lot of different guys. Um, 2007. Where do you want to start with this one? I'm still 
You're, you're, you're still <laughs> ranking your guys? Start, start with the factors. This was a very interesting draft. Okay, well, let me get into it. Um, so there was a fascinating domino effect that happened early in this draft where... One of my uh, friends got drafted in this draft. That's not what I was going to mention. Um, where I don't remember the exact timing, but basically this was the sequence of events. The Sharks trade Vesa Toscala and Mark Bell to the Leafs for a first, second, and a future fourth. And that future fourth becomes, oddly enough, Craig Smith, who has had a much better career than Mark Bell and Vasatoskala combined. But then you factor in the fact that the Sharks went ahead and flipped that first and second to get Logan Couture in that same draft. And this was a year after John Ferguson Jr. traded Tuka Rask for Andrew Raycroft. So in a calendar year, he traded... Valuable assets for Andrew Raycroft and then Vesatoskala. I know there's a, a lot of Leafs fans listening to this podcast, and I'm sure they're just, just stabbing themselves in the face right now. Garrett, do you have any any, any response to any of that, or, or are you just you're I'm, I'm messaging enjoy- someone on your laptop right now? I'm enjoying uh, the pain of others, the short and fraud. Um, yeah, it was uh, one of my friends got drafted in this one as a famous... Are you still on that? Yeah, as a famous Vancouver draft. Taylor Ellington. The big storyline in this draft, looking back at it, which is funny to look at now, I remember at the time, and then watching some videos online, every, Like after every pick, they were just talking about when Angelo Esposito was going to go and why he was dropping. Oh, yes. Like, literally, like the top storyline of this draft was when Angelo Esposito was going to go. And I remember the Canadians passed on him. And it's like, oh my God, his hometown team didn't even take him. Like, what's going on here? And I guess the the 19 teams that picked before the Penguins were onto something. Yeah. And he's one of only five players, I think, that did not play single NHL game, I think. Yeah, it's pretty tough to do when you're a first round pick. I mean, we just see mm-hmm. a lot of these guys get opportunity after opportunity to try and find some of that pedigree that they once teams thought they had and to never get that shot is pretty remarkable yeah i think it's something like i could be wrong but i think it's around um less than 30 percent for the back half of the first round making the nhl for over 200 games yeah but what is it for playing one nhl game that's a good question i feel like it's like in the in that nine in the 90 percents mm. like playing one game i'm gonna say 70 it's gotta be more, the, the back more, more than 70 there's there's a lot of pl- players who there, miss okay, out. There are. But, okay, especially in terms of, like, a guy with, that was as highly regarded as, like, this is, like, a special That's true. case where, like, it's just remarkable to me that he never once dressed in an NHL game. And I think it also kind of depends on what era you look at because of the fact that, you know, they've gotten a little bit better, I think, in drafting in terms of recent history versus um, the past history. I mean, there's definitely a lot more busts that I see in the first two rounds, looking at, you know, the earlier years yeah. versus the mid years, obviously the recent years, there's still a lot to come in to figure out whether or not, but to at least play like a single NHL game. Yeah. Um, the other note I had here is the Oilers had three first round picks in this draft. How many? Uh, you got Sam Gagne, Alex Plant, and Riley Nash, mm. which, uh, three elite players. When, when you look back at, uh, you know, they're obviously in much better shape now, led by Connor McDavid and, and Leandre Saito, but when you look back at, like, 
Oh, why were those teams with Taylor Hall struggling so much? Was it because Taylor Hall was a bad leader and a bust? It's, no, it's because uh, all of these other assets were just, just so poorly managed. Oh, like they just had no complimentary talent because they kept taking the Alex Plants of the world. Edmonton Oilers back then were one of the prime examples of how it's not about it's not that rebuilding doesn't work. It's that bad rebuilding won't work because they didn't accumulate assets. They didn't trade away expiring contracts. They didn't um, draft very well. They drafted for role players as opposed to just trying to accumulate talent and then fill in the role players through uh, both depth, quality, skill players or trading away, you know, those accumulated assets once you have enough or, you know, free agency heaven forbid because the fact that let's be honest most role players are easy to acquire through yeah free agency but yeah now that i'm looking at it i might actually amend my uh estimate for for games played just because there are a lot of uh nick ross patrick white and logan mcmillan and all these guys i never actually want to make it but i do think it's higher than 70 percent. yeah when i was when i was looking at like the 2012 2011 2010 it's definitely gotten it's gone much higher yeah um but the 2007s, 8s, 9s, 6s, those ones are a lot lower. Uh, the one final note I have on this before we get into the rankings is it's. I forgot how much of a bummer it is that uh, we never got to see Alexei Cherepanov play. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. It's a it's a shame. Um, the best names in this draft: Charles Antoine Messier. Luca Caputi, <laughs> Ben Blood, which I thought I like is nice and simple. Mm-hmm. Or, and you know, I, I mentioned earlier how much I love when Hockey DB includes the nicknames Joshua Podge Turnbull. I think I'm going for number two, Luca Caputi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm okay with that one. Um, okay, let's get into the uh, the actual rankings of this draft. Um, why don't you start us off? This one, well, this one's pretty. I mean, this one, the first. Well, I mean, maybe it's not actually. The top of this draft is really good. The top, the top of the draft is very good. Yeah, I like this draft goes like ten deep in terms of like legitimate stars. I think very much. Um, everything from Brandon Sutter to. <laughs> I mean, when you get into the Zach Hamels of the world, uh, how can you not be impressed? And Nick Bonino and Carl Alsner. So. I think the debate here up top is Patrick Kane versus Jamie Benn. I might throw Ryan McDonough in that mix. You would rather have Ryan McDonough than P.K. Subban? I would rather have Ryan McDonough for P.K. I, my good friend, and I, I know the people uh, listening, there's going to be a few of you out there that are going to be happy about this because uh, I know sometimes you say that I, I agree too much with my co-hosts. I strongly disagree, good sir. I have P.K. Subban as the second best defender in the draft. Well, I do too. I mean, no, I have him as the first. No, don't, yeah. don't, don't try to trick me with your mind games. <laughs> don't try to lull me to sleep here. Um, so you you think the McDonough versus Ben versus Kane is a legitimate argument? Yes. Um, I'm a huge fan of Ryan McDonough's game. Yeah. Um, both stylistically, but also in terms of his value and his production. Mm. Um, not in production and points, but production and overall value on ice to the game. Uh, I, th- I mean, like I said, I am heavily slanted towards recent performance. Slightly because of the way that I've 
produce things, which, you know, there has been years where P.K. Subban has been the superior defenseman, and there has been years where Ryan McDonough has been the superior defenseman. Mm. So, you know, the argument can be had. Uh, but personally, I think Ryan McDonough has been overall better in terms of value. And I think part of the reason why the fact that he's so undervalued is because he's always been playing with the, one of the largest pylons in the game right beside yeah. him. I wouldn't even describe him. I'd describe him as more of an anchor than a pylon. But yeah. It's a personal preference. I mean, yeah, well, it would be fascinating to see, especially if he plays with Kevin Shattenkirk this year, of how much that opens him up and how much his results improve. Who's also in my top 10 for this draft. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, okay, let's get into Kane versus Ben, though. Let's ignore McDonough in this discussion. So you got Kane, the scorer, and you got Ben, the more play-driving player. Right. And I feel like it took Ben a bit longer to come on. Jamie Ben, who uh, only played in Junior B for the Vancouver Island Junior Hockey League just because of the fact that the team wanted Jordy, and two different teams wanted him, and his parents said, whichever team will also play Jamie mm. will get, we'll get Jordy. And so it worked out pretty well for them. Uh, yeah. Uh, the next year after that, I mean, even then Jordy was still the better player, the, the superior player, but the next year Jamie went on, uh, to play in the BCHL and he lit it up and the rest is history. Bingo. Um, yeah, I think that I was think my Pierre Maguire I, moment. I would rather, I think I would rather have Patrick Kane's career than, Jamie Benz if I was drafting first all in this draft, but I do think mm-hmm. it it's a testament to um the strides Jamie Ben has made over his career that it's a legitimate discussion because obvi- yeah. obviously at the time of this draft that was not a, a thing that was in people's minds. Yeah, I I would go I I put McDonough in the conversation, but I did go uh Kane, then Ben, then McDonough. Yeah, so I have Kane, Ben, and then Sue Ben. Mm-hmm. Um now, Too much agreement. The next, well, the next tier of forwards, you have Pacioretty, you have Jake, Jake the Snake Voracek. Mm-hmm. I have Voracek actually above Pacioretty. Yeah, I, I, I have Pacioretty and then Voracek, but it was super interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Um, then I have Sivan, and then I have uh, Shattenkirk. See, I have Couture and Tourist ahead of Shattenkirk, but... Couture is actually right next, so... Yeah, and once again, like I mentioned earlier, it's remarkable that uh, the Sharks turned Vesa Toskala and Mark Bell into Logan Couture, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so then we haven't mentioned JVR yet, who obviously went second in this draft. Uh, I think he's coming up pretty soon in, the, in this list, all right? Like, yep. I mean, he's 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 in that tier with me, with the other forwards, like uh, Wayne Simmons and Michael Backlund. Yep. Um, are there any other guys that are in that discussion from this draft. Like there's a lot of like very interesting sort of second, third line guys, but there, there's, there's no one that's really sticking out. There's one person who, um, analog, analogical types might push higher Jake than, Yeah. So I have Jake Muzzin 13th and Justin Braun 14th in this draft. But, um, obviously like if you were going to say like, Oh, I'd rather have Jake Muzzin than. James Henry was like, I, I guess, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it depends on need or personal preference. There was a lot of, uh, there's a lot of interesting. I mean, we didn't mention guys like Lars Zeller and David Perron, who have really, really good careers, or even depth Great guys. Depth you know, players. like Nick Bonino, Carl Hagelin, Patrick Maroon, all these guys went late in this draft. Alex Kalorn. Um, you know, an interesting name here that went. Brendan Smith. I love Brendan Smith. He didn't really. 
factor into my thought process here, but he's definitely worth an honorable mention. Um, Speaking of elite war for AHL, TJ Brennan was also from this draft. Yeah, T- well, TJ Brennan is uh, he's going to have elite war in the AHL when he's like 47 years yeah. old. He's uh, one of the best AHL players. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing, which is you know good for him. Um, Evgeny Dadanov, who basically played like ha- like a half a season or something, I think, mm-hmm. and then went to the KHL for a long time and made magic happen with uh, with Nikita Gusev and uh, Vadim Shapachov, who are both property of the Vegas Golden Knights now. Um, but he, Dadanov himself, has obviously signed with the Panthers and will be coming back to the NHL this season. So I'm kind of curious to see how he does because... It's remarkable that it's been this long since he was sort of on on our minds, but yeah, I'm curious to see how he's going to do. Because I mean, the KHL is the second best league in the world in terms of quality, although it's kind of all over the place now. It it really depends on what team you're looking at. Mm. There are some teams out there that I would say are worse than the average AHL team, and there are teams out there that are significantly better. But with the talent kind of exiting. yeah, I feel like the volatility in that league, like like between the highs and the lows, yeah. in, the, in the league structure. Obviously, a lot of that just has to do with the financial landscape. But it's uh, like that team last year that had what team was it that had uh, Datsuk and Kovalchuk and and on and on and on like that. There, I remember I was looking at their goal differential and their record. I just like was, yeah, they're uh, it was man against boys. It's uh, St. Petersburg. Yeah, SK. Yeah, their 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 numbers last year were just fun hilarious yeah they're a, a pretty decent team mm. uh kovalchuk shipyashev uh dadanov Dadsu, yeah. uh plotnikov there is definitely a lot of good offs mm. in that Lots, group. all the offs um all right i think that's it for 2007 yeah let's move on 2008 this is a this is a good draft this is a draft. This is the draft that I have not really looked that much into it, but okay. Well, let me let me let me lay some stuff. Like Zach Bogosian first overall. <laughs> so looking back at it, um, Bob McKenzie, who's obviously the uh, the goat, the the hockey godfather. I mean, he his his accuracy and consistency uh, from year to year with. You know, his polls of scouts and GMs and, and putting together these lists is really remarkable. And amongst all the other insider stuff he does, I feel like that's something we don't really um, give him enough credit for. It's just how reliable of a pre-draft source he is for what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But when I was looking back at this draft, he made it seem like the Drew Doughty versus Zach Bogosian discussion was a very, very real thing for second overall. Like, do you, do you remember it as that? Because I, mean, I, always, I always just, I guess maybe just because of how their careers have turned out, I've always just kind of considered it a foregone conclusion that Dowdy was always going to go second. But at the time, it really did seem like a debate. Zach Bogosian was a six foot three defenseman who put over a point per game in the OHL back when the OHL was significantly stronger league than the WHL and the QMJHL. Hmm. That was... Sorry, I'm hiccuping. That was a big deal um yet but, somehow central scouting and their final rankings had luke shen above him yeah that's <laughs> let's not talk about that <laughs> that was a weird one um so like zach bogosian had a lot of promise to him and he was also a guy that like you know like pcs or pgps or all those stats models would have also loved zach bogosian as well as a favorite so the stats people and the scouting community love zach bogosian 
um, his career. What do you think went wrong with Zach Bogosian? Like, do you think if we replay his career a hundred times, like how many of those times do you think he actually realizes that potential and becomes like a franchise defenseman? It's speculation, but I think it, with Zach Bogosian, a lot of it had to do with nurture more than nature. Mm. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that he went to the Atlanta Thrasher, Thrashers, which was a bit of a mess of an organization. Um, he was rushed. Um, he had a really bad injury in his first season. Um, he actually had a very hot start to his rookie season. Uh, the Atlanta Thrashers were very, very happy with his draft pick for the first half of his rookie season, the year after he got drafted. Um, so, like, you know, there's a lot of argument about rushing him, but he actually came in very strong. And then he had a significant injury. I'm trying to remember whether it was a broken arm or broken leg. I can't remember which one it was. Um, but apparently that injury has been a bit of a chronic problem for him. Mm. But I also think part of it is just complete speculation here. But from what I've heard here and there, I don't believe his he's quite a student of the game in terms of once he's off, when he's not. Like, he, he works hard when he's on the ice. But I think once he's off the ice, he just doesn't care. Uh, right. I've heard that he doesn't watch any hockey games. Um, so I think... I don't either. Yeah. <laughs> of course. You know, all you have to do is look at the spreadsheet. It tells you all you need to know. Um, also, Zach Gershon is the only person that we'll be discussing that has me blocked on Twitter. Um, oh, well, well, when we get to the Vander Kane draft. <laughs> for some reason, I always defend the guy, and he, for some reason, has me blocked. Really. I find it insane. Yeah. Uh, so I think part of it was the fact that, you know, he didn't have that internal drive with this um, skill sets that he had. Um, but there is a little bit of question mark in terms of his hockey IQ. Mm. Uh, that's always been his problem. He's always had a lot of the tools, but not so much the toolbox. Yeah, it's interesting that obviously like the Thrashers put him in the lineup immediately, and some of that has to do with, as you mentioned, like he was kind of considered to be an NHL-ready sort of, at least like frame, right? Like he was mm-hmm. a beast. Whereas the Blues really... Still took their played. time with Petrangelo. I think like he yeah. played eight games and nine games in his in his draft plus one and draft plus two seasons. So they never really became an actual fixture with the team until three years later. Which, um, you know, mm-hmm. in hindsight, like I don't think there's necessarily one right way. I generally think that if you think the guy is physically ready to to keep up with the NHL grind, I think you should put him in the lineup because of what we know with Asian curves and how this stuff works like you want to try and maximize that value as soon as you can as opposed to Mm -hmm. waiting for years but it's interesting how those two guys have taken such different paths and how how differently their careers played out and they went third and fourth in this draft obviously yeah um yeah i'm i'm looking at the rest of it i mean a lot of defensemen and this is we'll mention this again with i think the 2012 draft later on a lot of defensemen went in the first round in this draft, unfortunately, uh, a lot of them just went in the wrong order. Yeah. Or the picks were misguided, like, you know, talking about the Colton Tuberts and... It's kind of interesting. Lucas Biza. They, they, the NHL scouts seem to know, or GMs or whoever, whomever, seem to know which years are the years that, you know, this is a good year for defensemen. <laughs> yeah, they just get the but, wrong guys. But they get the wrong guys. <laughs> yeah. Tyler Kuma. We'll, we'll kind of talk about that in for 2012 as well, yeah. So there was a pretty cool moment. Uh, I forgot about this, but Pierre Maguire uh, refers to Eric Carlson as the Swedish Brian Rafalski for some reason. But then Tim Murray, who I believe, I guess he was the assistant GM at the time, sans glasses, looks 
like 30 years younger than he does <laughs> right now, um, passes the baton over to Daniel Alfredson, who in front of the home Ottawa crowd picks Eric Carlson with the Senator's first round pick. So that was a pretty cool moment. Yes. Eric Carlson looks so young. He is like, he doesn't have that pirate goatee facial hair thing going on and his hair is shorter and lighter and he looks like a completely different person. He's kind of good at hockey. Yeah, he wound up good. Wait, and so... Actually, I was going to segue there to how good he is and whether he should be first in this draft, but I want to throw some of the best names in this draft at you and you, you pick again for me. Okay. You ready? Tommy Wingles. He's, this might be, uh, you know, you might be, oh, that Tommy Wingles isn't a great name, but then we get into the Wimmy Tongles, the Timmy Wongles, yeah, the, yeah, the Wimmy Tingles. I've, I've always enjoyed his name. Uh, uh, he's an actual NHLer, too. Sort of. Yeah, yeah, unlike a lot of these guys. Uh, 129th overall to the Leafs, Joel Champagne. It's time for some like champagne, it. yeah, yeah. Uh, the greatest basketball player of all time, Mike Mikael Jordan. Uh, Mikael Jordan, yeah. 105th overall to the Hurricanes. Um, Stefan Della Robert, great name, 204th to the Capitals. And Mats Jostin Froschaug, 161st to the Canucks. This is a hard one to choose. Yeah. I, like, the sentimental pick here is Tommy Wingles. Yeah. But, but I also I like Mikael Jordan. I mean, yeah. Come on. <laughs> Literally, I mean, that was the... No, we're not crossing over Crossing over from basketball to baseball to hockey. I mean, what can this guy do? <laughs> Although he was significantly different in performance between those three sports. Yeah. He wasn't a... Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, I like the uh, like the, the Carolina connection there as well. It all, it all works out. Um, so Stamkos went first in this draft. Stamkos versus Carlson. I might go Carlson. See, I, I might. I have Carlson, Dowdy, then Stamkos. Ooh, Dowdy, then Stamkos. I have Stamkos. Yeah, I think I think here's 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 my argument. I don't obviously. I have Dowdy three. If, like, if, you, if you go Stamkos ahead of Dowdy or even Stamkos ahead of Carlson, like I get it. It's like Stamkos. Yeah, generational goal, one of the best goal scorers of all time. Like what? it's very very valuable. Obviously, the, the best uh, long term performer uh, in goals relative to expected goals. Yeah, um, he's a finisher. It's a bummer. Last season, I thought he really finally looked healthy at the start of the year and was looking awesome playing with Kucherov and Nemesnikov, I believe. And then, obviously, he got injured again and missed the rest of the season. And at this point, I just hope that we get some semblance of peak Steven Stamkos again for a sustained period of time because it feels like it's been a while, which is disappointing considering the the lofty heights he reached early in his career. I think just in terms of my Dowdy argument, um, I just think having... A guy who can so uh, seamlessly and effortlessly just, like, you can just lock him down for. You're, he's good to go. You can just put him there. Just play with whoever, 27 minutes a night. He's just going to consistently tilt the ice and be really good. I understand that, like, Carlson is very clearly ahead of Drew Doughty for me here. Yeah. And please, let's not turn this into a Carlson versus Doughty debate. But I think, like, Drew Doughty is sometimes it, it kind of goes back to that Jonathan Taves thing where it's like we try to overcompensate a little bit, but he's freaking awesome. So overrated and he's underrated. <laughs> like, he's so awesome and he's so fun to watch and he's such a smooth skater and great with the puck and very good at pretty much every facet of the game. And I think that, you know, that those three are pretty clearly the top three here. And then obviously mm-hmm. it's personal preference. Yeah, there are some interesting defensemen as as we spoke that kind of you know 
I mean, Alex Petrangelo was an ag- a guy that was considered to be a top talent and actually turned out to be. But there's definitely some interesting ones. Like afterwards, uh, John Carlson, who was late first round. Roman Josie, early second round. TJ Brody. TJ Brody, uh, fourth round. Then you even have like the Travis Hamannick and Jason Demers, who are Seventh obviously round. Low, lower, but yeah, um, second round for. And Hamannick. you know, why did we mention Spurgeon and Gardner? Like, there's there's a lot of defense talent in this draft, and it's funny that a lot of them slate compared to some of the other guys who never really wound up having NHL careers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. where do you put Braden Holtby on this list? Goalies are so hard to rank because it's just so different. Um, yeah. One, you find the, sp- the spread in performance um, in terms of impact. Let's just say you're using a war model. Right. Uh, goaltenders basically, for the most part, will either make your team or destroy your team. There's very seldom like a middle ground, despite the fact that the actual talent distribution is completely smaller. Uh, so if you're just going from a talent-wise aspect, there's there's a very small gap between the best and the worst. I mean, I think we've gone over this before, but if you're the worst, you know, let's just pretend that the market is absolutely perfect and the top 60 goaltenders are in the NHL. That means the worst goaltender in the NHL is the 60th best in the world. Hmm. You look at the first lines in NHL hockey, there's 90 first liners. So if you're the worst goaltender in the NHL, um, you're higher ranking in best of the world than the worst first liner in right. the NHL, even though you're, you know, a terrible backup. I mean, then you, you know, you had some spots with, uh, players in the AHL that are probably better in Europe. So then maybe you're dealing with, yeah, but I think you'd ar- you, like the argument against goalies as valuable assets, isn't how useful they are. It's our ability yeah. to, well, it's a combination of their performance from year to year, right? It's, it's a combination of the high volatility. Um, the best goaltenders will still have bad years. The right. worst goaltenders will still have good years. We've gone over this uh, last time. Then the second thing is the fact that, you know, the talent distribution is a lot smaller than in the NHL. So what that means is, you know, if you get a, le- a less good guy, um, on average, he's still going to be, you know, still fairly pretty good relative to the best and then the third thing is the fact that the market makes them a little bit more replaceable. Um, you're able to find n- not elite talent goaltenders fairly easily, but you're still able to find plug-and-play goaltenders fairly easily compared to other positions. Right. But the difference between the career Braden Holtby has had, especially over the past couple of years, versus plug-and-play guy i feel like that yeah there is a pretty big discrepancy oh yeah there is a discrepancy no doubt like obviously for this exercise we sort of have the luxury of knowing how brayden holby has performed we're not trying to mm-hmm. predict how That's he's going to do difference. the next two seasons right so yeah. it's it's definitely obviously it's kind of apples and oranges it's tough to um differentiate between that um in terms of the forwards like we mentioned all the defensemen in the drafts and i feel like out of my top 14 there's like eight or nine of them are defensemen um but then you get into guys like Derek Stepan, Jordan Eberle, Adam Henrique, Cam Atkinson, and then even if you want to lump in like um, you know Mikael Bodker, Colin Wilson, Josh Bailey, Gus Nyquist, I guess. Like, do you have any any thoughts on any of those guys? You know what? You're completely on with those guys. Who's the cream of the crop of that group? Uh, is this, it Derek, Derek Stepan? 
Yeah, I think so. It's a tough call between Jordan Amberley and Derek Stepan. I would definitely put those two above the rest of the depth guys. Mm. Um, but, I mean, there's a lot of talent there. Um, with Even even if you're going with the Atkinson, Wilson, Ennis. Yeah. Uh, do we have any other thoughts on this draft before we move on to 2009? Uh, no, we can continue. Yeah. All I right. think we'll get more and more details as we go. Yeah, as we will, as it becomes like fresher in our minds. Um, 2009. So I didn't, I didn't want to spoil this for you before we were recording. Okay, I, so I really is... wanted to. But so Pierre Maguire, this is, this, this is an all-time Pierre Maguire line here. Uh, I'm excited. When the Tampa Bay Lightning picked Victor Hedman second overall, he just he rants and raves about the pick, right? Mm-hmm. Loves Victor Hedman. Great. But then he drops this nugget. He goes... Now, now you're talking about putting him on a defense in Tampa with the likes of Andre Mizaros, Paul Ranger, Lucas Krychek, and Paul Smady. And he just, and then he just like doesn't have a follow up point to that, and then he just move on. <laughs> but he made it seem like that was like a good list of defensemen to be a part of. Paul Ranger, that's a name I haven't heard for in a while. Yeah, it was uh, Andre Mizaros, former yeah. uh, Vancouver Giants legend. Um, yeah, heck of a group of players. Uh, one of those things is not like the others. Um, Bob McKenzie's top 10 was, as I mentioned earlier, very accurate. He did have this anecdote in there about how, uh, you know, he had Oliver ekman Larson eighth. And he said that he, he described him as the wild card in the top 10. And he wasn't on three of the 10 ballots at all. But then one scout told him that he had him third overall in this draft. So I want to know. Who wow. that scout was because he's pretty clearly he better at his job than the peer than his peers. That one that one scout uh, agrees with me because I have Oliver Ekman Larson as third overall in this draft. Um, let me check where I have him. I have him third as well. So, well done to that scout. It's definitely diff- I mean, it's not like Oliver Ekman Larson OEL was playing in a league that was highly scouted and well known at the time. Uh, your your Thrashers took Jeremy Moran forty fifth overall in this draft. He's been traded five times, including the Blackhawks trading for him twice and then trading him away twice. It's like they keep, but it's like they've had the same GM the entire time. So it's like, it's like Stan Bowman just keeps forgetting forgetting about, he's like, yeah, let's let's get him on board. Yeah, I kind of like this guy's stats. All of a sudden, I'm like, "Ah, I don't really like him. Just keep, every time he circles around, comes back to Jeremy Moran. Um, the fourth round of this draft. Another high, highly, highly performing um, AHL player. Jeremy Moran? Yeah. Yeah, he's probably one of those like 4A guys where that's, I, at this point, I don't think we're going to see much from him at the NHL level. But I made, a, I made a trade joke about him once, and he retweeted it. So he seems <laughs> to at least have a good sense of humor about it. Uh, the fourth round of this draft was, you know, every once in a while... Obviously, it doesn't have any predictive value, or there's no like, no rhyme or reason. It just sometimes happens this way. But it, it had like Sammy Vatnin, Matthias Ekholm, David Savard, Craig Smith, Casey Zizekas. Had like almost as many regular NHLers than, as like the first round, especially the second round, which is pretty uh, pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure how the the teams and the scouts feel about that. Um, before we get into the order, the best names: Casey Zizekas, as I mentioned, pretty good one. Definitely great name. Uh, John Francois Barube, I just have to get him a shout out. You know, massive friend of the podcast. Uh, Maxwell Tardy. 
And I think I think I, I think this is going to be a consensus pick. Dick panic. <laughs> no question. Congratulations to go to the panel. Congratulations to Richard. Um, okay, so let's get into the order here. So we both have OEL third, as we mentioned. I'm guessing we, we probably have one or two. Yeah, but we've had we. I guess this is like a recurring theme now. I'm, I'm sensing, but it's this sort of you know forward versus defenseman. Mm-hmm. And Tavares versus Hedman. I mean, I guess you can't really can't go wrong. Um, what do you what do you what do you think is more valuable if you were constructing a team from scratch? Obviously, like no no specifics in terms of names or, or playing types. Just if you could have a top defenseman or a top center. Well, I think one of the problems that we have with answering that question is there's a little bit of a chicken and egg um i mean most people view your number one center being the most important spot but however most players as they're developing if they're one of the best players in Wee or adam or those levels if you have your best player you put them as your first line center you don't put them as your wing you don't put them as your defense because of the fact that he's good gonna kind of be in that position so you just wonder are number one centers best because it is the most important position or is it the most important position because we tend to put the best players there Hmm. um i mean from what we know from war data uh forwards generally speaking at the elite end are better than defensemen at the elite end um although headman has been neck and neck with Tavares. Um, yeah. in those numbers for the past couple of years if we're dealing with the specific. Mm. Uh, and we do know that defensemen, as we would expect, have a larger impact on goals against while forwards are more specialized in being just uh, offense. Right. Actually, it's kind of a uh, random, interesting aside. is We normally think of forwards as in both in- offensive impact and def- defensive impact and right. defensemen as specialized with unknown situations but we kind of actually see the opposite defensemen tend to be both forward and defense defensive impact and forwards tend to be more specialized towards right offense with the, the occasional exceptions right so are you leaning towards Tavares overhead in here i did place Tavares overheadman but the more i talk about it the more i'm like mm, maybe not <laughs> headman is just so good so 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 he good. is so good. a complete defenseman in my personal opinion yeah, he's he's uh he's amazing. Um, yeah, it's it's tough. I think that's pretty clearly those three. Now we get into an interesting. It gets a lot messy. Combination. There's like six guys almost you could talk me into as going fourth overall in this draft, and none of them are Vander Kane, who actually went fourth overall in this draft. Mm-hmm. Um, Hello, Vander Kane, another player who had very good start in his career. That's yes. kind of piddled. And it was oh, nice to see that he was able to stay healthy last season for the most part, I mm-hmm. think, and had a pretty Although he had season. a rough shooting percentage in the first half. Yeah. <laughs> it makes well, you wonder it, if he was fully healthy. Well, it bounced back, and I mean, the, the shooting percentage thing has been something that's kind of plagued him for most of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have Ryan Ellis, mm-hmm. Matthias Eckholm, mm-hmm. Ryan O'Reilly, and Matt Duchesne. I think I think I'm I'm cool with that as like the next tier in this draft. If if I'm gonna be honest, I do have an at home bias, so I'm I am gonna put put him fourth just 
not because so you have three he three straight Swedish yes. defensemen. Yes, right. actually, that's uh, stick that in your pipe and smoke it. It's a power move. Yeah, see, I feel the opposite way. I have a personal preference towards Ryan Ellis. How do you feel about how do you feel about that? People who think we agree too much. <laughs> I love Ryan Ellis. It's awesome that he's actually um, turned into being this like incredible NHL defenseman. Because obviously his major junior numbers are just preposterous. Mm-hmm. But it, it obviously like it took a while. I, I like that you know we mentioned this all Ryan, the time. Ryan Ellis is the play, uh, since we're talking about uh, quotes from. Uh, Pierre Maguire. Yep. He's a uh, he's a guy that said uh, Ryan Ellis proves analytics don't work, even though Ryan Ellis <laughs> was an analytical darling. For years. darling. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know we mention this all the time about how prospects don't necessarily have this like stepwise developmental trajectory. Like it's not like every season they get like a certain percentage closer to their actual peak. Like sometimes it does come in peaks and valleys, and you never really know how it's going to materialize. And it's different for every guy. For Ryan Ellis, like he really. Did just seem to get slightly better, and the Predators gave him slightly more opportunity pretty much every season, mm-hmm. culminating in this last year, which he was incredibly good and used a ton. And so I have a, I have a personal preference towards him, but you can make the argument for Ekholm. Um, Colorado Avalanche centric here, Duchesne versus O'Reilly. Yeah. What if I said Ryan O'Reilly? I have Ryan O'Reilly ahead of Duchesne on this list, so I would say. Stop looking at my Excel file. <laughs> well, so does War. So. <laughs> Duchesne had a... I mean, and like some people are going to argue, well, Duchesne was on a rough team. It's like, and Ryan O'Reilly was on a pretty team? Yes. Yeah, no, that's... Uh, I think you can make the argument this year. Like, it did seem... I don't want to, like, psychoanalyze the guy doing that, but yeah. watching... Some avalanche games. I don't know why I was doing that, but Matt, Matthew Shane looked like a man who had uh, had had his soul sucked out of his body. Like he was really going through the motions. So yeah. I do wonder. I do wonder if he gets traded. I mean, I'm, I can't believe it hasn't happened yet. But if he does get traded before next season or some some point during the season, I do wonder what that will, mm-hmm. how that will be reflected in his performance. But I, I, I still, I'm gonna put it out there. I'm gonna guess that Ryan O'Reilly still would be the superior player and the reason why i think ryan o'reilly does very well in the things that a lot of us um analytical types kind of look at that some people often ignore in terms of producing extra value whether that's you know um he's an okay penalty drawer he doesn't um, take any though um but he just doesn't take any at all and that has huge value um and on top of it uh i mean face his he's one of the few players that actually does produce a lot of face-off value. I mean, I think he was like nearly four goals above replacement in face-offs, and that's nearly a win. Hmm. Um, so. we got some interesting wingers coming up here. I mean, there's Tatar, Silverberg, Kreider, even Marcus Johansson. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess if you want to lump in Evander Kane, Kyle Palmieri. A great winger, Nick Letty. <laughs> if we're just talking about like... Uh, how aesthetically pleasing they are to watch. Nick Letty is, is top five in this draft. I mean, he's... And you know what? There's a... Not, a not a winger, specimen. but uh, one player that I would put near the top tiers is actually Nazim Kadri. Yeah, he was... A, he, I didn't mean... I mean, I, I didn't mention him amongst those wingers because I guess like he's, mm-hmm. he's played center in his career, but he's definitely 
can be lumped in with those guys. Do you, so do you do you prefer a cadre to those other guys I mentioned? Uh, through quite a few of them, actually. Um, Kadri is another player who um, he's done very well, analytically speaking, over his career and producing value um, in terms of production, tilting the ice. Uh, not the greatest defensive player, um, but overall, he's definitely a good player. So what do you mean? Okay. I don't know if we've ever if we've ever had this discussion either on or off the air, but uh, Jakob Silberberg is a fascinating player for me because also great analytical player. Yes, but if you watch him or if you read any you know re- scouting reports on him or player profiles, like his best uh, discernible weapon as a player is his shot. Yet he shoots like eight percent. Which I, I've always just, I found that um, imbalance between like, it's, I guess it's one of those things where like, I guess maybe he just can't do it consistently enough or maybe he's, he's, he is taking shots from bad angles. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but like when you see him get his shot off and everything goes right, like you're like, holy crap, that guy should be one of the top snipers in the league. But then he's just more of a high volume, low percentage shooter. Yeah, that's kind of, I mean, I think a lot of people struggle with, um, how well and how well a shooter a player is. I mean, someone looks at Alexander Vechkin and Alexander Vechkin long time has been considered uh, a goal scorer extraordinaire because of his shot, but he's been a low percentage shooter for right. Most of his he career. shoots like a madman. He just, and the reason why is because he's taking good and bad shots. Um, Silverberg, I mean, look he has at, been on the upward trajectory. I mean, this past year was the first time he'd ever topped, uh, double digits and shooting percentage so yeah i mean he did shoot a lot from in front of the net this season mm. uh, i haven't really looked into the past seasons though it just seems like he should or could be a guy that puts it all together and has a 30 goal season but i mean he is turning 27 at the start of this year so maybe that i mean listen if he settles into being this type of player where he's like scoring in the low 20s but he's just like an awesome yeah. i think two-way wing actually i think part of the reason why his shooting percentage might be low is i don't think that he's been used too much um appropriately on uh, the power play and that's going to have a uh, artificial inflation of your shooting percentage yep. based off of how much you play on the power play that's true i mean his power play goals by year are two one two two and then five last year so yeah that could definitely be part of it um yeah, it's 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 funny looking back at it now. I mean, he's just such a superior player to Bobby Ryan, and we're not even taking into account like contracts and all that. Um, any of the other guys I mentioned, we're talking about Mike Hoffman, Thomas Tatar, Chris Kreider, Cody Egan. No, just kidding. <laughs> kidding. You know what? There's a uh, some other good defensemen. You mentioned Nick Letty. Uh, there's Sammy Vatanen, Tyson Berry, Dmitry Orlov. It's a good defenseman in this draft, and none of them were really. I mean, we all, you know, I had Edmund Le- and OEL, but none of the other guys were really the top top picks. I had Letty in my top fourteen, but the other guys didn't quite make it. Yeah, yeah, I'm thirteenth. Um, should we talk about? Uh, man, there's some interesting names that actually went in the lottery of this draft. Scott Glennie, Jared Cowan, Magnus PRV, back while he, he still had the Svensson. Hmm. Dmitry Kulikov. You know, Dmitry Kulikov was uh, in, in Bob McKenzie's consensus pre-draft top 10. How does that make you feel? 
Well, the Jets got a top 10 talent on their team <laughs> to play on their second slash third pair. Okay. Tim Erickson. There's another interesting name. A he player. was in this draft? But no, he went back into the draft, didn't he? Uh, Are you just talking, just randomly mentioning Tim Erickson? No, no, no. He was in the 2009 draft. Uh, but he, I feel like he went He was back. one pick before Marcus Johansson. Oh, man. Drafted uh, 23rd overall um, by the Calgary Flames. Another guy who actually has performed well in the AHL, in my personal opinion, just from viewing him and also from the numbers that I have access to that other people don't, yeah, just never has put it together in the NHL. And mm. it's been given a lot of trials on a lot of teams. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen for Tim Erickson at this point. Um, all right, let's do, let's do t- 2010 here. Okay. <clears throat> So what, the one random anecdote I have here before we get started. The Hurricanes took Freddie Anderson 187th overall in this draft, in the seventh round. And then he went back into the draft two years later, and the Ducks took him 100 picks sooner. Which is interesting. I forgot that that had happened, but that's a thing that happened. Um, the best names in this draft. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Eunice Donskoy. Pretty good one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Tom Kunakel. That's a good one. Greg McKegg, Ludwig Runsfeld, and Brock Bukaboom. I don't know why I have a favorite in that list. There's some quality, like... Just some solid, silly, solid hockey names. Yeah, it's some solid hockey names. Nothing that's, like, really elite talent there, but there's no, there's no real weak ones kind of dragging them down. Yeah, let's go with Eunice Donskoy. Okay. I like that one. Um, okay, this was obviously the Taylor versus Tyler draft. Um, I'm trying to think of where, where, where to start the discussion. I don't have either of those guys first overall. Is I guess a good place to start the discussion. Do you have Tarasenko? Yes. Oh my god, stop agreeing with me. But this is where it gets interesting because how, who, there's like... But then I have seconds all See, see this, this was a bad defense draft. Oh yeah. Like I have one, I have one guy in my top fourteen from the blue line. I don't have any. I don't have anyone in my top. I have John. 10. I have John Klingberg fourteenth, and that's the highest defenseman for me. I I have Falk and Pissick just great. Oh no, Pissick's up right after. He's fifteenth. Sorry, Pissick, you just missed. Oh, you know we were mentioning Angelo Esposito earlier about how he's you know that subplot sort of just dominated that draft. Yeah, I remember this one being like the Cam Fowler, like when is Cam Fowler gonna go? Yeah, I, mean, I guess you know Cam Fowler has right. worked out better than Angelo Esposito, but yeah, I have Cam Fowler seventeenth, uh, mm-hmm. even though he's drafted twelve, but he was supposed to be like a top top guy in this draft. Mm-hmm. Um, this draft was actually fairly decent though in getting oh the forwards uh, are awesome. first rounds first rounders right. Like, I think this might be the only draft where my top nine players are all actual first-line players. Or first-round players. Now that I'm looking at it. Uh, that's not the case for me. Yeah. I have Mark Stone in the top ten. Well, that's why I cut off it right there, because Mark Stone was next. <laughs> what about Brandon Gallagher? Oh my god, did I forget Brandon Gallagher? I think I did. I did. Height doesn't measure heart. No, it doesn't. Um, so you just got proven wrong. Boom. www.wrong.com. Um, so who do you have after Tarasenko in this draft? I have Sagan. Not Hall. I do. I have Sagan second and then I have Evgeny Kuznetsov third. 
Mm. Yeah, I have Hall next. Yeah, I have Hall fourth. Then Kazinisov, then underrated Nino Niederreiter. Yes, I'm he, high on him. Uh, yeah, I, I I can't put Niederreiter ahead of Johansson. Then I, I know what arguments you're going to make, but I... Elite! I can't do Two it. Two-way numbers. I can't do it. Hey, Elite man. Elite defensive numbers. Can't do it. Um, Jeff Skinner? Yep. Oh, glad glad to see that he's uh, rebounding back. Oh, man. I, I, I'm so happy. Yeah, part of the, part awesome of the reason why I think Skinner is as low as he is is just because, of the, for me, is just because of the fact that he's you know lost a bit. and It's with, with like, scary head injuries, too. Yeah. Not even, like... Would he ever come back was definitely yeah. a real question, but Yeah. No, uh, but the forwards in this draft are are very good. I mean, you know, we haven't even mentioned Tyler Toffoli, Jim yep. Schwartz. Yep. Um Mark Stone we briefly mentioned. Yep. Brock Nelson. Well, Brock Nelson's not even in consideration for me up at this high. Oh not this high, but yeah. He's how do you feel about Charlie Coyle? I saw that Brock Nelson higher than um, than he was drafted. Because mm. he's yeah. drafted 30th, yeah. and I think I have him in the low 20s. How do you feel about Charlie Coyle? Charlie Coyle, um, he's an interesting player. Um, I think I have him... I have him 14th. He just made it. Yep. I'm 12th. He's one of those guys. I guess like he, he actually, the counting stats sort of started to finally catch up catch up last year but he was for years one of those guys for me where it's like when you watch him if you especially if you catch him on the right night you're like this guy is so dominant like how is he i would believe if i hadn't watched hockey before that charlie coyle based on what i'm seeing on the ice right now is one of the best players in the league and then you look at his actual numbers and you're like what's what's going on here drafted out of the ega ejhl yeah well he was in the they the wild got him for brent burns Mm-hmm. Or I guess the, the pick that was Charlie Coyle, or maybe he would have already been drafted at the time. But and then I have uh, Michael Granlund closing out this list. But yeah, the a lot of really good top six forwards, uh, and then you get into like Klingberg, Fowler, and Falk, Pissick for defensemen. But mm-hmm. it's pretty, it's pretty weak. Um, I think that's gonna be over 2010. Yeah, let's go to 11. The very first draft that I personally started following. Leading up to the draft. See? So this, this, is, is, this, this is not completely hindsight. Now this is where I'm starting to throw in my own opinions from prior to the draft. Mm. And well, Garrett, this is a great segue. Okay. Or actually a great tease. Because we're actually going to stop recording right now. Okay. And we're going to move this to part two of this podcast. Because we're already well over an hour. And I think if we, I think if, if we drop like a two and a half hour podcast on people here, they might their minds might explode. It might go crazy. So we're going to put a pin in it right here. You and I will keep talking, but you guys, if you're listening to this the first day it comes out, we'll probably have to wait a day for part two of the show, but we'll do 2011 to 2015 on part two. So follow Garrett Hole on Twitter, at Garrett Hole, and that's a wrap for now. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast. <laughs>